courtyard was silent as she entered it. Not a bird's cheep was to be heard. Even the storks were asleep, hunched up in the shadow of the plantains. Keeping to the relative coolness of the covered walk, she made her way round to the house. In the outer room, maids were lying about in all directions asleep. Slipping behind the tall mirror and through the elaborately carved partition, she passed into the inner room where Bayou lay inside his protective summer cabinet of net. He too was fast asleep. Only Aroma sat at his bedside, sewing. A white horsehair fly whisk with a handle of white rhinoceros horn at her side. Baljai entered the cabinet and laughed softly. everyone welcome to another exciting installation of rereading the stone this is kevin wilson joined as always by william jones will how's it going oh not too bad it's uh at the time of recording it's slightly earlier in the morning than we usually do um so i still have the kind of morning croak in my voice <laughs> how about okay. you okay uh i'm doing great uh it's kind of late afternoon here I had um, I just tasted the first cherries of the season. So oh that's wow! Kind of exciting. Wow! Great. Uh, so I'm enjoying the uh, early, I guess, early summer um, excitement. Um, so this is chapter thirty-six we're working on today. Um, I'm very excited about this chapter. Um, it's in the Hawks. It's subtitled "Bao Chai Visits Green Delights and Hears Strange Words from a Sleeper." Bao Yu visits. Pear Tree Court and learns hard facts from a performer. Um, so there's a lot going on. It's a fairly important chapter, I'd say, um, at least interesting. Uh, but before we jump into it, how about we, as usual, do a sort of um, a recap and a kind of an outline for, yeah, absolutely. for chapter 36. So last time around, we had a kind of slightly itty-bitty chapter, lots of different things happening. Um, but I guess in summary... Um, uh, we are what well, we're in the garden so in this in this grand garden in the grand mansion um with the whole kind of host with a whole kind of host of different characters doing um doing different things um so we begin the previous chapter with our one of our kind of main female characters uh Lin Dayu and she's standing under the shade of a tree outside the house of green delights so the home of Jia Baoyu our central character and kind of one of the kind of her main love interests i suppose in the, in the book so she's sitting there in the shade of the tree uh watching people come and go from his home because they're they're mostly coming to kind of um check in on him 
uh, ask after him, see how he's doing, because he was, as we know, recently very severely beaten by his father and is still recovering. Um, and while she's lurking there, I suppose a kind of a little bit kind of, um, <laughs> how would we put it exactly? She's lur she's kind of she's kind of lurking there in the shade of the tree, uh, watching people, but feeling like she is unseen. Um, but then she's surprised when one of her maids comes up behind her um, and tells her to return home and take her medicine. Uh, she does so in a kind of depressed state over um, her own lack of family, being an orphan and, and an only child um, compared to other people. Um, but her mood is lifted by her parrot. <laughs> Meanwhile, one of the other key female characters, uh, Xue Baochai, has gone to see her mother um, having the previous night had a fight uh, with her older brother, Xuepan, uh, who was very drunk at the time. He is now sober. He is now sober uh, and no doubt very hungover. And he begs forgiveness uh, from Baochai and her mother um, dramatically. Mm. Um, at this point, Baochai leaves with her mother to go and visit Baoyu and there finds several other members of the family, including... Um, Bao Yu's mother and grandmother, so Lady Wang and Grandmother Jia, and Wang Xifeng, who's another of the you know important female characters in the house. Um, at this point, Bao Yu, amid many offers of food and drink, uh, decides to order a kind of soup that he once saw, which is a kind of clear broth with uh, pieces of dough floating in it, and the dough is shaped to look like lotus leaves and caltrops and other kind of floral uh, emblems. Um, the others are initially baffled by the suggestion, but in the end they decide to make lots of this soup for everyone to taste. Uh, in the ensuing conversation, uh, Wang Xifeng, um, in her usual way, is um, making some kind of like gently mocking remarks um, towards Grandmother Jia, um, which leads to a discussion of how much more kind of witty and sharp uh, Grandmother Jia used to be in her youth. The talk then passes to discussion of different members of the family, uh, and she, Grandmother Jia, this is, reveals that Xue Baochai is her favourite grandchild. Then everybody departs. Grandmother Jia, Xifeng, etc., stop to eat at Lady Wang's chambers. Uh, meanwhile, uh, one of Baochai's maids, Oriol, um, heads over to Baoyu's house to help him with some kind of ornamental braiding. Uh, and also, Lady Wang orders one of her maids, Silver, to take some food over to Baoyu. Uh, so Silver is the sister of Golden, one of Lady Wang's former maids who drowned herself in a well after she was sacked by Lady Wang for Baoyu's own kind of indiscretion, we could say. Uh, Baoyu is therefore very bashful in Silver's presence, and he makes many kind of efforts to win her over. Uh, and eventually does to an extent, as we see. Um, at this point, two old ladies are admitted to Baoyu's room. They are servants sent from the household of a man called Fu Shi, uh, an ambitious young man, favoured by Baoyu's father, but coming from quite a um, poor background. Anyway, Fu Shi is considering marrying his sister to Baoyu and has sent these old ladies to see what Baoyu is like. However, they leave quite quickly, having formed this very kind of bad impression of Baoyu overall. Uh, and finally, we have a discussion between Baoyu, Oriol, Aroma, so Baoyu's maidservant, and Baochai about different forms of braiding 
and which kind of colors match for making a new um, braid for Baoyu's precious jade to hang upon. Uh, and that's pretty much where we leave the chapter. Mm. At the start of 36, uh, we begin with Baoyu's grandmother, Grandmother Jia, ordering that Baoyu not receive any visitors from outside the house until he's fully recovered from his beating. And that also, he, you know, he's had a horoscope done that says that um, he shouldn't go outside until the eighth month. So this is absolute music to Baoyu's ears because it means that he'll be able to avoid any visits from his father's friends who we find so kind of distasteful and, and kind of ambitious and, and, and grasping. Um, next, we hear that Wang Xifeng has been receiving lots of gifts and kind of visits from uh, various servants, uh, which has kind of perplexed her. So she asks her maid, Patience, Pingar, about it, who suggests that the reason for it is probably because these servants' daughters all work for Lady Wang, and since the death of the maid Golden, each of these servants are hoping that their daughter might be the one to replace her as kind of as personal maid servant. Um, so Xifeng goes to discuss it with Lady Wang, and they have a very lengthy talk about um, which members of the household get how many servants and how much the different servants get paid and when they get paid. Uh, you know, as well as a complaint from two members of the household, Aunt Zhao and Aunt Zhou, um, who are both concubines, who think that their servants have been shortchanged somehow. Um, in the discussion, Lady Wang decides that she won't take a new servant, but she will bring um, Baoyu's maidservant, Aroma. Uh, she will bring Aroma into her own service on, on kind of higher pay, um, but she will leave her kind of waiting on Baoyu. Um, um, at this point, Xifeng leaves, grumbling about being, you know, interrogated in this manner, um, and people kind of raising complaints against her. At this point, um, Shri Abal Chai goes to visit Baoyu um, in the middle of the day, but she finds him him sleeping, um, and all the servants except Aroma, uh, who is sitting beside Baoyu's bed, embroidering some kind of night clothes for him. Seeing Bao Chai, she decides to take a break and go for a walk, and Bao Chai takes her seat, and then eventually takes up the embroidering herself. Meanwhile, uh, Dai Yu and another of the young women of the family, Shi Xiangyun, are playing together in the garden, and they head to Bao Yu's house, and through the window they see Bao Yu sleeping, and Bao Chai sitting in a chair by him doing the embroidery. And this this scene is kind of uh, terribly funny to them, and they're they're seized by fits of giggles. At this point, uh, Aroma returns from her from her walk, um, but is then immediately summoned to receive news of her her new elevation, her promotion to higher status. Um, after she returns home, she and Baoyu get into a very lengthy philosophical discussion about death, uh, <laughs> and then eventually they go to sleep. Um, the next day. Baoyu, in boredom, goes to seek out one of the child actors that the family keeps in the garden, uh, who's known in in the Hawke's English translation as Charmant. Uh, so he goes to seek her out to sing an aria for him from one of his favourite plays. Um, however, on arrival, 
um, he discovers that she's in a very foul mood and her voice is too sore to sing anyway. Um, um, shortly after this, uh, Jia Chang, another one of the young men of the household, who is very clearly in love with Charmant, uh, he returns with a gift for her, a caged bird, which will which will kind of dance on command. Um, the the other actors are uh, they find it quite you know entertaining gift, but Charmant considers it to be a mockery of her, and her mood worsens. Um, so she and Jia Chang get into an argument, and at this point Bao Yi leaves. Returning home, um, he finds Aroma and Dayu uh, at his home, um, and Dayu reminds him that it's uh, Aunt Xue's birthday the following day. Um, as Bao Yu is weighing up whether or not to attend, uh, Xiang Yun arrives to bid everyone farewell because she's been summoned home to her own family. And so there's a very tearful parting right at the end of the chapter, and that's where things wrap up. Okay. That's, that's a long one. <laughs> that one was quite uh, a lot. It's just like itty-bitty mm-hmm. details. It's quite difficult to kind of gloss over. Right. I don't know. Um, Before we go any further, should we just discuss the title of the chapter quickly? Okay, so um, Hawks has it as Bao Chai visits Green Delights and hears strange words from a sleeper. And... Bao Yu visits Pear Tree Court and learns hard facts from a performer. Um, and so if we look at the original a little more closely, um, it's Xiu uh, Yuanyang, Meng Zhao, Jiang Yunshuan. And so the Jiang Yunshuan, that's the name of uh, Bao Yu's study that we've um, mm. we discussed in chapter, first in chapter eight, and maybe a few times since then. Um, but I think here that's serving as kind of a uh, a stand-in for yeah. Green Delights, which is, what, which is what Hawks has rendered it. Um, I would say that the um, it, the implication here is that, yeah, you know, Bao Chai is not explicitly referenced, but she's the one who's doing the, uh, she's embroidering the Mandarin ducks. She's Shuo Yuanyang. Yes, she is. Um, so, so literally translated, right? Xiu Yuanyang, as you mentioned, is embroidering Mandarin ducks. Meng Zhao is like to dream, kind of symbolically, I suppose, to dream, but the dream having some symbolic meaning. Is that about right? Right. Yeah, like a, a like a prophecy or a, an omen. Yeah. yeah, and then Jiang Yunxuan is, as you said, Red Ru study the Baoyu's own room. Um, right. Um, although I guess what's going on partly there is um, the the uh, the the Jiang Yunshuan that is that's also a reference to you know the land of um, the land of illusion, um, and so it's basically uh, it's like it's basically Bao Chai uh, observing Bao Yu's you know dream prophecy. Um, where, like, in effect, he's kind of returned mm. to this primordial space. Um, and I think it's maybe that's one of the reasons why, in the original, it, it isn't um, Green Delights, because Green Delights doesn't, um, yeah, maybe doesn't uh, go back to that image of, uh, of, of, 
of Daiyu as the uh, Crimson Pearl, as the Zhangju. Um, as for the second half of the, uh, the of the couplet, um, again, it, it is basically um, as Hawks has translated it. I, I guess the um, what in the original is Ding Ching, this you know the. Uh, Mm -hmm. exchanging um, kind of like pledging vows, exchanging love vows, love tokens as well. That's that's going to be a reference to um, the uh, the exchange between uh, Charmant and Jia Chang. Uh, but what's interesting here is the uh, the 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 Qing. So what what Hawks has as um, you know learns hard facts from a performer, right? It, it, the the learning the in in the original it's um Qing Wu, uh, which is kind of uh gets back to some of our themes where like like Qing is again this like you know it's not just green but it's also um, emotion feeling, and and so like uh, like Bao Yu is sort of like learning he like uh, uh he, he's he's learning about human relations he's learning about feeling and stuff like that um and actually that that wu there it's the same wu as um sun wukong the the, the monkey king oh cool right uh and so that kind of again i think that's a way to kind of uh, reinforce the connection between uh bao yu and the monkey king they're both kind of on these um these sort of quests of uh enlightenment right they're both learning about the nature of life and fate and uh, I guess like free will and um, mm -hmm. st stuff like that. Right. Um, and that kind of, um, and, and so, yeah, this is, this chapter very much is in the mold of, we have a few chapters where uh, something happens to Bao Yu and, and he has like a, um, a kind of a, a a flash of enlightenment about the human condition or about the 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 uh the futility of his actions right and sometimes he goes back and we've seen him write you know uh Taoist and buddhist uh poetic verses in response to uh something that happens in the chapter so in this way each chapter has this kind of um like it's a little bit of in the mold of um like a sitcom or some kind of serialized form where like each piece, you know, each chapter as microcosm has a, a conflict. And if not like a resolution, then at least like a, a, a like a mental uh, development in, in this case. And so this yeah. is very much in that mold, I think. It kind of sets us up for what's going to happen, how this chapter is going to resemble some of the ones we've seen before. So in this case, he's going to be learning about um, the nature of uh, human relationships, and I think so. Yeah, in freedom, and uh, you know the, you know the 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 conflict between uh, what you social obligation and personal desire, because in many ways, uh, Jia Chang and Charmant's uh, their like relationship conflicts are a reflection of of those. Um, difficulties uh experienced by Bao Yu and Dai Yu and so that's kind of uh yeah that's kind of the um the canvas for the the expression of uh, 
of these developments. So I guess, yeah, there's a lot that happens in, in chapter 36. Um, some of it's more, uh, we have a few kind of iconic scenes, um, the, the picturesque, the kind of like uh, self-consciously picturesque moment where uh, Bao Chai is besides is beside Bao Yu's bed and, and she's weaving uh, the, this, this article of clothing for him. Yeah. Um, it is a famous scene, as is sort of um, the fateful, her overhearing his dream talk, where he seems to be arguing with somebody and he is um, denying, you know, the, uh, the predestined uh, marriage between um, stone and gold and rather... Uh, you know, favoring that between stone and flower, right? And and so that that's sort of his unconscious uh, expressing uh, his you know desire for preference for uh, Dai Yu over Bao Chai. Um, at the same time, that yeah, she is sort of her being there. That moment kind of um, seems to presage their own future together. So we have these um, conflicting uh, prophecies that sort of is some symbolic uh, tension and contradiction uh, to work with. Um, I was also very uh, struck by the scene with Charmant. Um, and we're going to find out who she is and her connection to um, the, uh, a scene from chapter 30, the famous... Um, writing Chiang, the character Chiang, uh, under the pergola. Beyond that, yeah, the, the, that whole kind of... So the way I would kind of characterize this chapter is to say that we see the um, another transitional moment where we're, we seem to be going even deeper. We're delving more deeply into the garden. Uh, maybe we're, we are kind of like, maybe Bao Yu is um, kind of using the um, the beating as a pretense to uh, sink deeper into this kind of fake reality, you know, the, the, the performative space of the garden. Um, at the same time that the space is being probably, in this chapter, it receives one of its um, sharpest criticisms um, in the voice of uh, Charmotte uh, and her kind of um, rejection of the the cage bird that uh, whose fate you know too closely uh, parallels her own for comfort. Um, so that's kind of that's how I kind of am imagining this chapter because as we transition now, next chapter chapter thirty seven is when the uh, the poetry club is first introduced, first conceived of, uh, and so in my mind I'd be I, I've been like kind of amassing my forces uh on the border of that chapter <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and so uh but i think also just in the text as well this is a a, a real uh, like a pivotal moment i think um also it's interesting to note that we are arriving upon uh chapter 40 which um it's not exactly halfway through the book but given that the last 40 chapters are um, disputed. Uh, the first, you know, the consequence of that is that the first 80 receive special attention. And so once you get to 40, you're kind of halfway through uh, the part of the book that uh, receives the closest 
critical um, attention, for better or for worse. Yeah. I mean, um, so we're, we're, we really are getting deep into it in, in that sense, at least, right? Yeah. So chapters 1 to 80 are canon, we might say. And yeah, chapters yeah. 81 to 120 are apocrypha. You know, they are authorship, veracity, you know, are somewhat in dispute. Um, yeah. You, you know, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I. That's kind of a. The issue of the last 40 chapters, just the, the secondary, like, literature is so sort of. Um, kind of noisy <laughs> in these regards that like I, I've kind of almost put off uh, like trying to work my way through the, the, the various arguments that verge on you know kind of high speculation at times um, there's a sense that maybe maybe the original author uh, drafted them and uh, what we have are simply um, mildly edited to the possibility that these are completely you know fabrications by second hand based on maybe some kind of now lost outline of these chapters and their events uh yeah i'm kind of like i've, I've sort of backburnered that question because it's not terribly interesting to me to be honest um uh but yeah i i think um so what do you think what's your what, do you have any kind of reactions or impressions to give before we we jump um, in Agreed. A couple of iconic bits. A couple of much more kind of um, ordinary day-to-day things. So there's a kind of lengthy discussion um, between various of the characters about um, uh, servants and how many servants different people get and how much they get paid. Right. This is much less kind of interesting from a narrative perspective, but it is quite interesting as an insight into the way that people ran a household, you know, the way that people lived. You know, just just that kind of very ordinary stuff is is interesting to me in a way. In past episodes, I've dubbed that kind of insight like sociological, and yeah, again, mm. I agree. In this chapter, again, we see some interesting, like how a domestic economy works and how it's partly based on need, but it's partly based on tradition. And you you really see, uh, as we'll see, that some of these roles are like consciously symbolic, um, which maybe you know, is part of the, um, their intrigue, but also their, like, uh, like tendency toward being kind of fraught relations because they are kind of stuck in this weird, semi-real, semi-symbolic, um, position. Um, but, you know, how about we jump right in? because uh, we can, we can talk about these things as they arise. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. So the, there, there's a kind of opening section which is not very long but which I think merits dwelling on for a short period um, which is Grandmother Jia she at the start of this chapter has just returned from visiting Baoyu um, and she's pleased to see that he's on the road to recovery um, because it was a you know when we think back to it it was a very savage beating that he received um, but even though he's on the road to recovery he's not fully recovered yet and um, in her rather overprotective, slightly kind of cosseting way, she um, orders that no outside visitors be allowed to see him. Um, and she goes all the way, you know, she goes as far as um, she goes as far as summoning the kind of head servant of Jia Zheng, so her son, uh, Bao Yu's father. She summons this head servant and she tells him, basically, that if Jia Zheng summons Bao Yu, you know, you know, orders him to, to it to it you know, be in attendance. Um that this servant is to respond that 
because he was so severely injured by his beating, he needs several months complete rest before he can walk again. And also, he's just made it an offering to his star guardian. Um, and because of a kind of unlucky conjunction in his horoscope, he isn't allowed to go beyond the, the, the inner gate, it's called, until the beginning of the eighth month. So, so yeah, for, for both practical and kind of ritual reasons, he's not allowed to see any guests. Right. Um, um, and this kind of marks the, uh, the, the turn inward uh, that, I, that I view this chapter um, as, as representing. Um, right, yeah. And, and so we see, and, and you know, Bao Yu is uh, delighted by this prospect. Yeah. And he, he even takes it so far as to, you know, um, kind of suspend the observation of sort of these various, uh, e- even like perfunctory visits, whether to um, other, you know, elite gentlemen or even perfunctory visits to um to his parents it seems um the the expression they use uh it is uh yeah there we go right so these are these morning and evening like kind of set visits um to you know uh, to to observe you know "Quote unquote ritual propriety, right? And so we see we see again and again uh, Bao Yu's kind of fraught relationship with uh, like so-called Confucian values, mm. um, and, and this is so he, he uses these uh, th- this event and also this apparent um, prognostication as a pretense for his uh, folding inward, and in his kind of characteristic way." Uh, when various people try to um, encourage him not to become too inward-looking, um, you know, to to continue to apply himself in some useful way, including Bao Chai, uh, his response is very, mm. especially it's Bao very Chai. characteristic. Yeah, yeah, you know, he says he says something to the effect of basically that these kinds of exhortations from her are kind of almost a kind of a stain or a contamination uh, for her, you know. Of her character, yeah. Of her character, yeah. Yep. Um, um, but the, it's quite interesting the the approach that he. I suppose you can see quite a lot about his character that he considers, you know, studying in order to uh, achieve some measure of kind of success in future. He considers to be diao ming gu yu. So diao is literally to uh, to go fishing, really. Ming mm-hmm. um, is like literally name but here kind of more like reputation or like high honor i suppose and then gu is to purchase and yu is like a yeah again kind of honor um so that that's all he sees you know he thinks all people who who kind of apply themselves to study for the for the aim of kind of achieving something in life are only doing it for reasons of kind of base ambition and kind of desire for fame um, so th- this is his like first hot take of the chapter, um, <laughs> and if you think this one's bad, the next one is even worse. Um, I do think the author is like very much satirizing Bao Yu, um, but occasionally it, it is sort of an, it's interesting to see what he what he thinks. Um, um, one thing that's an interesting observation here is that um, he says the only person who doesn't subject him to these kind of um, exhortations to work harder um, 
is Dayu, and that's one of the reasons why he, you know, respects her so much. <laughs> mm. I I noticed that as well. I wasn't sure uh, how to. I guess that is a. I guess you could say that's a positive attribute of her character. Um, you could also characterize that as the same sort of uh, impractical disposition, though. I think it's sort of ambiguous how to interpret that. Yeah, it, it depends on, the, on 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 one's view, I suppose. Um, but certainly, it shows that they're kind of birds of a feather. Um, shall we talk now about um, Shi Feng and, and uh, Lady Wang and servants and things? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so after this, um, we hear that since Golden, since Lady Wang's maid Golden, um, drowned herself. There has effectively been a kind of empty slot um, that she's left behind. So Lady Wang, as a kind of important member of the household, is entitled to have four kind of key maidservants, in addition to like countless other more minor servants. Um, and Golden was one of those four. And now that she's died, Lady Wang only has three. And so there's, there's, one, there's one space available. Um, and so Shi Feng's been getting all of these gifts from different servants and they've been paying her visits and, you know, checking in on her and things. And she, uh, despite her usually kind of quite piercing intellect, is a little bit baffled by this. And so she speaks to, she speaks to her maid patients, uh, Ping R, about it, um, whether she knows what's going on. And patient says, well, of course, you know, these servants are all parents of um, maids in Lady Wang's service and I think they're all kind of hopeful that if they butter you up you'll put in a good word with Lady Wang and maybe their daughter will get the kind of promotion to to personal handmaiden right yeah and so we see kind of um, these positions are actually um, coveted to the extent that uh giving bribes uh, to procure them is uh, kind of run-of-the-mill standard affair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Completely normal. Um, and Shi Feng thinks, you know, she actually probably doesn't have that much sway over Lady Wang, but she'll happily keep receiving gifts uh, until the supply kind of dries up, mm -hmm. um, which I think probably says quite a lot about her character. Um, I mean, <laughs> we've been learning that she's, I suppose, kind of increasingly rather kind of greedy um, <laughs> uh, yeah yeah she's a hustler well there was an episode i guess it's maybe about 10 or 12 chapters back now where oh no longer even actually 20 chapters ago it must be um at watermoon priory where she agrees to take a bribe to help sort out some kind of sticky situation involving two suitors and one one young woman mm -hmm. um for a wealthy family and she does manage to sort it out but unfortunately several of the people involved in a fit of passion kill themselves yeah it's we we added it um, onto the the, the shifang uh death list beside uh jare right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and so uh, i don't know maybe it's unfairly maligning her but this seems to me quite kind of consistent with her character so far mm -hmm. as it's presented in mm -hmm. uh, in the novel it um, kind of like self-maximizing. It's it's relatable in our uh, our modern hyper-capitalist, hyper-individualistic uh, world. 
Yeah. Get paid. And so, did you know this is right before the scene where it's it's kind of um, afternoon and uh, Anti Shui, Bao Chai, uh, Dai Yu, and some others are in uh, Wang, uh, Lady Wang's residence, and they're uh, they're eating watermelon. Did you like? Did you catch the? Uh, do you think at this time? My sense is that this would be something of a delicacy. Uh, uh, yeah. During the Qing period, um, so it's kind of a. I think this was like a. Yeah, this was like a, a kind of a, a foreign delicacy, a a Western melon, to to, to translate watermelon, uh, literally. Um, so that's kind of an interesting sort of. Uh, it's, so how yeah. does the conversation go when she does arrive? What's the um... um? This is the moment where we get a lot of these like details about the uh, the domestic economy and how we learn about you know how the money flow really works. Everyone's getting paid uh, on a monthly basis. It seems there's a a central accounting department, um, and, and we see how you know some some maids will will only get you know, one string of cash. We talked about strings of cash before. Basically, uh, 100 coins with the, the the hole in the center that are kind of strung together using a piece of string. Yeah. Um, and there's been some changes of late. Um, and, and the higher maids will get a, a tail of silver, which is this kind of like smallish uh, bar of silver, right? Which is, which is, I think, a fairly decent allowance. If we recall... Uh, Liu Lao Lao, uh, I think she made off with like only a few tails of silver, but that would what was expected to last her, you know, an entire season more or less. Yeah, yeah. This was this poor, poor peasant relative who visited in chapter six. So I think you know during the Qing Dynasty, a tail of silver a uh, a month is pretty good, is my sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to like you know like use you know an- anachronistic terms. But part of me is like, is that would that be like middle class in some like uh, <laughs> uh, perverse in some perverse way? I, I don't, it's it is interesting if you really like start thinking uh, concretely about this stuff. Yeah, and so this is great material. <laughs> well, um, well, in terms of concrete details, um, Xi Fang says to Lady Wang that she has an she has a kind of allowance of four servants. Um, we're almost kind of she is allotted four servants basically, right? And because she's only using three at the moment she should take a fourth um and so yeah there's a slightly curious thing where um it's not simply that she's allowed to have four it's that it's kind of proper for her to have four somehow i suppose because that that sort of befits her station yeah Um, yeah it's you have to have a certain amount It, it really has this uh i'm reminded of things i've read uh, I think I think David Graeber goes into this a little bit in in bullshit jobs. Uh, this episode is also going to be censored. <laughs> um, <laughs> where like th- th- there's a sense that you know if you're an administrator and it, if you want to an important administrator has to have a certain number of um, like assistants, you know. Yeah. And and if you if you only have one secretary, well, t- I guess you're not that important because the other. Uh, you know, the, 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 this other guy is two or he has three. And so you have this, like, it becomes, yeah, this, like, tradition. Uh, it's also this kind of this power display. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's no doubt listeners will be um, familiar with the idea of, like, um, money being left over in the annual budget. 
Um, so, you know, like in some, in some work departments, you'll be assigned an annual budget. Um, and if at the end of the year you haven't spent it all, there will be an assumption that you therefore don't need as much next time around. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's often this kind of perverse incentive to spend what remains at the end of the year, even if it's on something completely useless, just so <laughs> that you maintain the same uh, overall level and don't get kind of docked. Um, I mean, in this case, Lady Wang says, do I have to have four maids? You know, it seems it seems quite excessive. And Shifeng replies, in principle, of course, you are right, aunt. But we have got fixed rules about these things. And when some people at the bottom of the scale are making a great fuss about keeping their number up, it wouldn't do to have you cutting yours down. In any case, the saving would only be one tail of silver a month. It would hardly be worth making the saving. Yeah. Um... And so Lady Wang ends up with this kind of... She ends up taking a slightly um, different route. She decides that the one tail of silver per month that had been paid to Golden will now be paid to her sister Silver. She won't take a fourth maid, but what she will do is take um, Aroma, so Baoyu's maid, Xiren. She will kind of take her directly into her own personal pay. <laughs> yeah. So there's this slightly confusing structure. <laughs> They're doing really interesting sort of like account. It's like it's like it's like it's like Enron or something. <laughs> there's like way too many balance sheets. <laughs> so so yeah, everyone has their own personal like profit and loss kind of. Um, but yeah, Grandmother Jia, as one of the most senior women in the household, has eight servants, and one of those eight servants is Aroma. And so she's technically still on Grandmother Jia's books, even though she actually attends on Baoyu. Mm -hmm. um, Baoyu has his own servants who are on his books, uh, who are paid a different amount. Um, <laughs> yeah, a, less, um, a lesser amount. A lesser amount, yeah. yeah. Um, and what Lady Wang says is, I'm going to take Aroma off Grandmother Jia's payroll altogether. I'm not going to put her on my personal... Um, servant payroll. So she has a like a dedicated amount each month that goes to paying servants, mm -hmm. but then she also receives her own personal allowance, which is just hers to spend on whatever. Which, which is, I think, twenty tails uh, of silver. Yep. So that's twenty tails of so silver. She is. So that's a lot. Quite a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and so she's going to pay Aroma directly out of that, and she's going to pay her two tails plus a string of cash. So probably more than any other servant in the household. Hmm. Um, but I think it's on the understanding that she will be kind of Lady Wang's agent, almost, you know? Yeah, this is... Uh, w yeah. Well, what did you make of it? This seems to be a power play, right? And, and so she still wants to... Uh, she wants some control over Bao Yu. Um, and this is the way to do it. You know, to take uh, his favored maid and to sort of, um, like, co-opt her, basically, to... It seems like a, like a like a pure strategy. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Basically, um, we saw in a recent chapter that um, Lady Wang likes asks for asks for one of Bao Yu's maids to come and visit her, um, and all she really wants to know is you know is he okay? When's he eating? Is he drinking enough? You know all that kind of stuff. But Aroma goes in person, even though she's the most senior maid. 
and she and Lady Wang have this conversation where she kind of impresses her with her her understanding of the situation of of how you know actually clearly it was bad that Jia Zhang beat Bao Yu half to death but actually in her view he needed a bit of physical discipline um and that really he's all of the young people are they're growing a bit too old to be spending time together and really Bao Yu ought to be taken out of the garden away from his female cousins um mm -hmm. because you know a scandal could happen or you know nasty gossip could just arise um she's compromised basically uh she, she's a cop <laughs> she's a she's a she's a double <laughs> or triple agent who knows double or triple uh, agent yeah uh <laughs> i would say this during this whole conversation between um lady wong and shifeng there's a kind of um a tension and resentment uh building Yes. Um, th there's a real sense that it's as if um, like Shifeng knows too much and maybe uh, on, on account of her like actually knowing and more actively f uh, following the affairs of the household that she like it's given her a sort of almost authority, which would be awkward and maybe inappropriate given that, you know, uh, like Lady Wong uh, is supposed to be, uh, you know, um, above her, mm -hmm. above Shifeng. Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time that, you know, Lady Wong is also, she married into this situation. And, and so her kind of her, her, her like role is in some ways comparable to, to Shifang's, you know? Yeah. And we um, know that she actually, I think when she was younger, Lady Wong filled a very similar role in terms of kind of being responsible for kind of management and running of the household um, mm -hmm. um, before kind of passing the baton to her. So there's a kind of like antipathy of identity uh, going on. It's there that too close for comfort. Yeah, yeah. And at one point, there's a. The, she she kind of grills her a little bit about the the facts and figures, the precise you know, who gets what and how much. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there is one particular source point, uh, sore sore point. Um, basically, Lady Wang asks whether everyone always gets paid the full amount each month. And Shifeng says, you know, of course, why, you know, why would you even ask? And Lady Wang says that, she, you know, she's had one or two complaints that, um, you know, servants haven't been receiving their full allowance on time. And um, Shifeng realizes the person who's made, well, the people who've made these complaints are um, Aunt Zhao and Aunt Zhou. So these are two of the concubines. I think one is the concubine of Jia Zhang and one is the concubine of Jia Sha. Mm. And because they are concubines, they have a lower status, they have fewer maids, and their maids get less money. Um, and so there was the decision by what Hawkes calls accounts. You mentioned it before, this kind of central accounting function. In in the Chinese, mm. it's referred to as Wai uh, Tao, I think. So like literally something almost kind of like outside or external i i don't know how else you would you would hmm, like yeah phrase it exactly but yeah it, it does seem to be as you say some kind of kind of household accounts department um they made the decision that um aunt joe and aunt, aunt Zhao um should have a smaller their their maids should get paid less basically their maids pay would get chopped in half basically mm -hmm. and so it was they that made this decision but because Shifeng is the one who's responsible for actually distributing pay, 
she was the one who got blamed basically she's she's kind of got it in the neck um so she goes on to kind of explain this and set it out and then yeah at one point there's this this uh, you know aunt Shua interjects to make a laughing comment that you know listening to her kind of reel off facts and figures like this is is kind of like the sound of a load of walnuts being emptied out of a cart you know <laughs> um and i think that maybe just serves to slightly like heighten rather than um relieve the, the tension um mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know if you felt this way yeah i i think i'm definitely made it worse yeah mm. and so actually like after the meeting um uh a few attendants ask you know what took so long um at this point in time, she's no longer uh, in the presence of Lady Wong or Aunt, Aunt Shre or anybody. Um, and she just like kind of to a group of um, like nearby servants and uh, miscellaneous sort of individuals. Uh, she really goes off on uh, Lady Wong. She kind of like, curses her. Uh, mm. It's really, uh, Hawks renders it pretty strongly. It, um, I, I I wanted to ask you here quickly. Do you think that that this spite is directed at Lady Wang, or is it directed perhaps at Aunt Aunt Zhou and Aunt Zhao? Because it 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 doesn't say exactly clearly, but there are, there are two bits that make me think it's not necessary. Well, but she says, "Let her complain to her ladyship if she has a mind to. I don't care." Her ladyship here being Lady Wang, presumably, because they normally call Grandmother Zhao her old ladyship. Oh, I I interpreted that as her old ladyship. Oh, okay. just just in the sense that because she is her own ladyship, her ladyship is. <laughs> there's got to be a better way to describe this. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, I can based see that. I on can her see position, yeah. like her ladyship's ladyship is her old ladyship. <laughs> the only the only bit that otherwise put me is she. There's a sentence where she says, "Complain about me, would she? Because her maid's allowance has been cut." Who in the holy name does she think she is? And so that does sound like that's directed not at Lady Wang, but at um Oh, Aunt oh interesting. Because um, her maid's allowance yeah. has been cut. The source of grievance there clearly is. Um, oh, okay. Well, that that changes that changes my interpretation then. I, no, I originally thought the same thing as you, which is that it was directed at Lady Wang, but I can't really tell actually now. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly who it's. Yeah, you know, it's not clear based on the original either. The only thing that does make me also think it's them is there's a line in paragraph 10 when she's having the outburst where she uses this line so like changfu is like bitch you know but the fact that it's man so pluralized makes me think it's directed at um uh Zhao and Zhou. I, I think you're onto something there yeah that makes sense I interpreted that as Shifeng, Lady Lady Wong, kind of um, a bit of tension, you know, resentment. Um, it, it is surprising that she would. It's it's not clear based on the context that these. I guess the uh, I guess the implication is that Lady Zhao and Lady Zhou had uh, complained to Lady Wong, uh, and they're the ones that are you know she's uh, cursing here. I mean, I don't know, okay. though. Like, even if technically, even if ostensibly her ire is directed at Aunt Zhao and Aunt Zhou, um, I think that some of that may be kind of misplaced, you know, uh, or displaced. Okay. Like, yeah. 
I think that she is very um, angry, you know, resentful towards Lady Wang, but maybe she feels like she can't express that directly, mm-hmm. direct it directly at her, and therefore she has to kind of kick kick downwards instead. So what what happens next? <laughs> so this is a, a kind of another. This is the, the next major part of uh, the chapter. We're we are kind of approaching upon uh, the scene you know, of uh, Bao Chai and beside a sleeping Bao Yu. Um, so what, what really happens, though, is they're returning from their kind of watermelon, uh, you know, enjoying this uh, Western delicacy, right? Um, and originally it was uh, Bao Chai and Dai Yu walking together back to the garden. Um, and... Bao Chai was originally intending to pay a visit to Xichun at uh, her place at Lotus Pavilion, Oshang uh, Xie in the original. Um, but, you know, Dai Yu says she, uh, she, you know, she doesn't want to go. She was planning on taking a bath. Um, we can, can maybe interpret whether that was an indication that, you know, things aren't entirely well between them. Maybe there's still some tension. Maybe, maybe, uh, Dayu doesn't want to hang out anymore kind of thing. Um, and, and so there, there's this, there, there's this kind of turn of events where, you know, originally, uh, Bao Chai was intending to go to visit Xichun, but on the way she stops at, uh, Bao Yu's place at the you know the the house of green delights as it were and everyone's it's kind of like the afternoon everyone's sleeping even the I think even the uh, even the stork the Xian uh, He the, the immortal crane like literally uh, are asleep um, kind of in the shadows of the plantains there's, there's a lot of nice kind of um, poetic imagery in this in this kind of uh transitional moment in the chapter um and and she arrives upon everyone sleeping except aroma who's in a small kind of um she's sort of beneath a a summer netting for for mosquitoes and other insects and and she is uh kind of at you know at Baoyu's bedside sewing uh making what, what what appears to be a rather um elaborate a rather well-crafted um turns out to be a sleeping item for for Bao Yu. Um, Hawks calls it a, a, a pinafore, which is a, a very old-fashioned term. Um, yeah. I, I don't think anyone really wears them anymore, but um, I feel like they kind of used to be maybe part of um, girls' school uniforms in the UK. Um, anyway, in this case, it's as you say, it's for him to be wearing when he's sleeping. Um because everyone is terribly concerned about him not getting sick, you know, ensuring he's constantly kind of protected. Um, so it's, yeah. The fear is that is that during the night he might kick off his covers and then become cold and then become yes, ill. Yes, yes. And so, and so he has to be protected by having a, an additional layer of protection if that happens. I, I kind of uh, interpret it almost as like a bib. Um, yeah. yeah. Which again... I think speaks to kind of the infantilization that happens of Bao Yu. You know, on one hand, he is the like the quote unquote master of the house, but actually, like a lot of everyone kind of treats him like a uh, 
like a like a a child and maybe a bit of a doofus even <laughs> um yeah yeah it's a real it's like a kind of onesie isn't it of sorts like um and and yeah yeah completely he's um well he's the sort of vessel into which so many different kind of like hopes and aspirations are poured mm-hmm. um and yeah so even though as you say he's the man of the household he is also endlessly fussed over and um, um and, and so spoiled. I, I guess Pao Chai kind of uh, arrives on the scene and she notices how good the embroidery is um and she kind of uh she um praises aroma and, and she's about to uh congratulate aroma on her on the news of her um new appointment her kind of promotion within the household uh but um i think aroma like steps out too quickly uh she wants to stretch her legs she says her neck's hurting from uh being being you know bent over this um this like handiwork for for too long um and it's in this moment that she kind of um she and Baochai uh, switched places and, and Baochai like almost just like moved by the naturalness quote unquote of the scene and by the the quality of the embroidery she just like unthinkingly um, starts uh, continues the pattern and she so she becomes the one uh, doing the the knitting the engaging in this touching uh, domestic scene yeah uh, quote unquote yeah so we've had we've had a bit of this before of like um aroma displacing or being displaced by other female characters uh, a couple of chapters ago Baoyu and Daiyu were in a kind of argument and um midway through she uh, Daiyu kind of storms off and Baoyu is kind of in a daze uh, and aroma who's been following from behind approaches to give Baoyu his fan that he left behind and Baoyu mistaking her for Daiyu makes this kind of confession of love to her um, and then in this situation it's kind of the inverse right so Aroma was there doing the embroidery she now departs and Baochai kind of slots into her space um, so I just found it to be kind of an interesting detail the way that you have them kind of subbing in and out I guess right um, and in a way, we're going to see another substitution. So just a moment ago, it was Bao Chai uh, arriving upon the scene and seeing Aroma. And so now what's going to happen is that uh, in the um, intervening moments, uh, Dai Yu had actually run into Shu uh, Shangyun, who was going to visit uh, Aroma Actually, the two of them are going now to visit Aroma to, again, to congratulate her uh, on her promotion. And so they arrive, and where Aroma had been, uh, Dai Yu observes Bao Chai. And so in this case, it's like, uh, this This is maybe, um, like, earlier when I mentioned uh, kind of competing prophecies, like com- competing visions of the future, Maybe here, Dai Yu's vision of Bao Chai and Bao Yu is one kind of vision. Um, but we're going to see um, the very next moment that uh, 
how can I describe this? Uh, th this is a moment when uh, Bao Chai overhears uh, Bao Yu's dream talk, uh, which is his kind of um, his. Um, it's his kind of sort of su subconscious coming out. I yeah, suppose. yeah. I was going to say, do you want to talk at all about the the patterns on the piece of clothing? Is there anything like of symbolic importance you want to like pick out there, or or should we kind of skim over? Oh it? yeah, yeah. There, I mean, um, this is so in the in the the chapter title, the 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 show to embroider, and then Yuan Yang, uh, Yuan Yang is the these the the Mandarin duck pairs. We've talked about this in, in previous episodes as well. It's sort of the uh, instead of a love bird, it's like a love love ducks. Love ducks, yeah. It's a <laughs> symbol of symbol of like fidelity and, and kind of yeah. lifetime pairing. Lifetime. So it's it's a strongly associated with marriage. Yeah. Um, and so that like again, over the the lingering question of who, of whom, Baoyu is to marry. Uh, remains and it, it keeps on emerging in different symbolic spaces. One of which is uh, this embroidery that, uh, like naturally, quote unquote, uh, Bao Chai has taken up. Right? How easily she slips into this um, this domestic vision. I want to call it. Yeah. Um. But then you know, I guess the the she, while she, I guess she's stirred from her from her fantasy or her illusion by uh, Bao Yu's words, which are... I, I have the, the English here, yeah. So while he's sleeping, um, yeah, Bao Yu says, uh, why should I believe what those old monks and Taoists say? I don't believe in the marriage of gold and jade. I believe in the marriage of stone and flower. Which, if you ask me, is not... A believably, it, it's a it's a much greater level of uh, like articulation than most people achieve when they're sleep talking. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we ha we had to have a little bit of uh, artistic license. <laughs> we could, yeah, we can allow. It. We can uh, allow it. What they have there as marriage, actually, it's a little stronger in the original. The original term is yuan, and so literally like um, marriage, a predestined marriage, marriage by fate. So yuan is like uh, fate or even like karma. Um, so that, that kind of goes back to this question of, yeah, like uh, whom is Bao Yu fated to, uh, to marry? You know, is it as these, um, these old monks and Taoists say, old monks and Taoists say rather, uh, yeah. <laughs> or is it, you know, you know, are there like competing interpretations? Is is there any precedent for a uh, a marriage of uh, stone and flower? Yeah. Well, when this in the Chinese, I mean, I I kind of get it why Hawks translates it as stone and flower, but the original is mu uh, shu, so wood and stone. But but yeah. Oh oh, that's a good that's a good point. But um, but but the the the, you know the symbolism idea, is though. clear in in either case. You know the in the first case the jin yu. So the gold and jade is obviously the marriage of Bao Chai and Bao Yu, and the uh, Mu Shu, wood and stone, or stone and flower, is obviously the marriage of Bao Yu and Dai Yu. Dai Yu, right? Again, it's wood because of the 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 Wu Sheng, the uh, the five phase uh, theory. Right. 
um, that that's that's why Hawks can so confidently um, translate because we, we've already seen like over and over again this kind of um, the prevalence of this correlational system. Yeah, and I mean Lin, of course, being a it's, it's her surname, but of course it's two it's two trees. It's 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 a wood, literally. Right. Um, exactly. So. Yeah. So, is there anything much to make of this this outburst? I I mean we know about it. We we we've known this that that Bao Yu does um prefer Dai Yu in many ways, and so maybe its significance here is that you know, just as Bao Yu later is going to have a moment of realization in this chapter, this is maybe this is Bao Chai's um Qing Wu. This is her like um learning about you know human emotion and, and faith so this is her moment of realization as a character perhaps that's why it's significant um that's one way to interpret it i think and so she's in this state of i guess realization something even approaching shock um when uh aroma returns from having taken a walk um and so we have this kind of strange situation where everyone apart from her knows about her promotion you know um, on her walk she saw uh, Daiyu and Xiangyun uh, who told her about this um, about her new kind of elevation but she Aroma thinks that it, it was a joke they think they were they were kind of like you know making fun of her um, and Bao Chai says you know no it's not I promise it's not a joke um, I I myself wanted to tell you, but you, you went off to stretch your legs before I could. And then just at that moment, the maid comes uh, from Xifeng, summoning Aroma to go and see her. Um, and so this is of course her being summoned to receive the news that she is getting a promotion.